Let's get a new week of Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent up and going. And we're going to have a great time as we recover from what we hope was a very good weekend for all y'all. I'm John Rawl. Good to be back with you here. I am the general of all things Southern. And if you're a Southerner, you've picked the right spot on your podcast and radio station dial because we're going to spend the next three hours going over everything Southern. If you got a little y'all in your voice, a little y'all in your drawl, oh boy. You have found the exact show you need to be listening to and hopefully paying a little attention to on this show. As we said, we're getting going here on a whole new week of y'all and hope your weekend was just fine and dandy. I don't think we had too many weather problems across Dixie the last few days, so hopefully your time with family and friends was very enjoyable. A lot of people out on the water over the weekend. I saw it. I made a long trip over the weekend and i'll actually walk through some of that trip if you don't mind i'll have my dixie diary coming your way here on today's y'all show i got a lot to say about the highways of georgia so stay tuned for that in hour number three when you spend 10 to 12 hours driving non-stop in a car across this part of the world you kind of start reflecting on things and you see things you never thought you'd see and i've saw that this past weekend i'll share that here as we go through the y'all show in fact as we go through today's y'all show let me just give you a little primer of what's ahead on this all southern program we got to look at headlines across the southeast it was a bloody weekend we had a couple of shootings in savannah and austin texas deadly shootings we'll give you the latest what we know has happened there and arrest made as well they are cleaning the streets of durham north carolina i'll explain right outside of the police headquarters they're doing this after a year it should have never been done there but we'll discuss that here on our headlines the bodies of confederate general nathan bedford forrest and his wife have been taken out of the park in memphis where their remains have been for over 120 years i'll give you the latest from the bluff city on the relocation of this confederate general one of the heroes of the confederacy if you will but certainly someone who's come under a lot of criticism throughout his life and many many years the 100-plus years since his death in the 1870s. We'll fill you in on that from Memphis here on today's Y'all Show, plus other news and notes going on across the southeast. We've got sports to catch up with, the latest with the NBA playoffs. We'll also tell you about the world of golf as they held a tournament in South Carolina this past weekend. I'll give you the fresh winner there, the guy who's only been on the tour less than a couple of months, and he has just won, and he is not an American. He's a Southerner. But not an American Southerner. He's from uh, Southern Africa, if you will. So we'll tell you about that. Also, a kind of historic event from the LPGA Tour this past weekend. We'll let you know about that, plus some college sports news, including college baseball. We now know most of the teams heading to Omaha for the College World Series. And the SEC's well-represented. The ACC well-represented. Even the Big 12 is going to have one of the eight teams in the College World Series We'll give you the latest on college baseball. Also, what's going on with college football as since we last got together, the NCAA and its infinite wisdom has inched closer to announcing they're going to have a 12-team playoff in a couple of years. And Kirby Smart, the head coach of the Georgia Bulldogs, is out talking about that. And we'll share what Coach Smart had to say. The smart guy there in Athens will have that here on today's Y'all Show as part of our sports coverage. 
in this first hour, we also, on Mondays, like to go through Southern history. And let me take this moment to tell everybody out there, happy Flag Day. Today is Flag Day. It is also the birthday of the United States Army. So, hello, hello, infantry. We wish you all who have served in the United States Army or currently serve a very special happy birthday. We'll talk about the origins of the birth of the United States Army on today's Y'all Show. Also, this week marks the start of the War of 1812, and we'll explain what happened there. And along that same time period, a lady named Rachel Jackson was getting ready to become the the nation's first lady. And we'll let you know about Rachel Donaldson Jackson of Tennessee, how she rose to become the first lady to Andrew Jackson, and sadly her early death. We'll explain all that as part of our Southern History Showcase on today's Y'all Show. Today, also speaking of presidential politics, it happens to be the birthday of our current Florida ex-president. That would be Donald John Trump. Happy birthday, President Trump. Yes, today is his 75th birthday. And we'll talk about the new Southerner, the carpet-bagging Donald Trump, coming south to enjoy maybe his last few years uh, before he decides to go back to Washington, maybe? Or or what's going on there at Mar-a-Lago? All that coming up as part of our Southern History Showcase on today's Y'all Show. We also, in Hour 2 today, are going to be joined by the Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short. Now, he served in the U.S. Army in a reserve form, and we'll talk to him about that and some of his good Army memories when we talk to our Takapola storyteller in hour number two we also hour two will have a kobe bennett sponsored southern accent on food as he'll be dropping by with a report here for the second hour of y'all plus as i said in hour number three my ruminations of traveling across georgia over these last couple of days all that right here on y'all and if you have your own georgia memories you want to share with us we welcome that 803 816-1170. That is how you can get in touch with y'all. We definitely have our phone lines open. Hey, we want to hear from you. Call or text that number anytime you feel like it. 803-816-1170. Our website is y'all.com. Y'all is the official homepage of the South. Y-A-L-L.com. We've got great interviews going there now. We've got great interviews coming and it's all free of charge. Plus, we're on Facebook. Check that out. You can go to y'all.com on Facebook and like and follow our page. We appreciate all that you can do to keep our page and our social media presence just up and going and getting bigger and bigger. We're like, when you're growing up, when you go see a distant relative who hasn't seen you lately, oh, you've just grown so much. I remember when you were this tall. Well, we're kind of like that. We're just growing up, and before you know it, we'll be all grown but we're not there yet, so we're asking for your help to help y'all and the y'all show grow. Y'all.com, please bookmark that page. And on Facebook, please go there and follow our page if you don't mind. Subscribe if that is an option for you. And, of course, keep listening to the y'all show. We're available for you each and every day with a three-hour dose of Southern conversation. And it's a fun ride. It's an enjoyable ride. It's also an informative ride for all y'all. And if we're not doing that, let us know, 803-816-1170. I'm not going to keep telling you that. You just need to write it down. Get it on a tattoo, if you will, and you'll be all set of what's going on across the southeast. And, of course, if you miss any portion of this talk show, you can catch it in podcast form at y'all.com. Plus, 
We're also on the Apple Podcast app, the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn app, and Stitcher. All free of charge for you to be able to catch up with what's going on across the Southeast. Let's dive into the news of the day across the Southeast here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. And our first news story is weather-related. We have the possibility of two tropical storms affecting the Atlantic and possibly the Gulf of Mexico this week. The National Hurricane Center is not ruling it out that these could turn into tropical storms. One potential storm is in the southern Gulf of Mexico. Another tropical wave has just moved off the coast of Africa. And a third and possibly quicker developing system is off of the coast of North Carolina as we speak. Now, that system merited a special treatment from the Hurricane Center today. As forecasters said, it was a well-defined but non-tropical storm and was located about 90 miles southeast of Cape Hatteras in North Carolina. And it was looking more organized, but the Hurricane Center said if that trend continues, a short-lived tropical depression or storm is likely to form today. A system needs sustained winds of at least 39 miles per hour to be considered a tropical storm and get a name And the next name, by the way, on the list is Bill. So we're going to have a tropical storm Bill at some point. But right now, as we've turned the calendar to the month of June, it's officially hurricane hurricane season for the next several months. And the national storm forecasters, especially the hurricane center, are all over this. And we've got three possibilities of wet weather at least and more violent weather possibly with these formations you might want to as we get through the week keep a closer eye on what's going on with these storms some of you heading to the gulf might want to definitely keep out with what's going on in the southern gulf with the disturbance there and then these things that form off of the horn of africa end up going into the caribbean and end up being very very bad news as we move along over these next few months hurricane season is definitely upon us now over the weekend we had a couple of mass shootings sadly to report and two of the three mass shootings from the weekend were in the south one in austin texas one in savannah georgia now a man has died from his injuries following the shooting in austin and this happened early in the morning hours on saturday and a man shot in the downtown streets of austin douglas john Cantor, a 25 year old was hospitalized but died early on Sunday, and the Austin police have confirmed that now. The shooting, according to the interim police chief, Joseph Chacon, said the shooting happened around 1.30 a.m. Saturday on a street packed with bars and barricaded off from vehicle traffic. A dispute between two parties is alleged to what led to the outbreak of violence. One person has been arrested. They're still looking for a suspect at large. And that was just, again, one of three shootings that happened over the past weekend. That in Austin happened along 6th Street, a popular nightlife destination where it's close to the University of Texas. But I think they're still looking, at least from last reports in Austin, for another suspect as two people got into a gunfight, it looks like. And multiple people were shot. And now at least one person has died from their injuries in that city from the past weekend in savannah georgia also a shooting there a very ugly scene in savannah over the weekend as police say one person is dead and a toddler and teen were among the victims with non-life-threatening injuries 
when that outbreak of violence happened on Friday evening. The wounded children were 18 months old and 13 years old, but police officials said that one man was killed and seven others, including these two children, were shot. The police chief of Savannah, Georgia, Roy Mentor Jr., said the shooting may be linked to an ongoing dispute between two groups, citing reports of gunshots being fired at the same apartment complex earlier in the week. But that is a definite tough story there with a deadly outbreak and a mass shooting in Savannah. And then in Chicago, also a outbreak of violence there as two men opened fire on a group of people in the city's south side, killing one woman, injuring nine others in Chicago. The mass shootings continue, unfortunately. One of the tragic things that have happened in our society over these last 20, 30, 40 years. Will it uh, And We all hope so. Hmm. Okay, to Durham, North Carolina, defund, big letters, D-E-F-U-N-D. Those letters have now been removed from the road in Durham, a road that was literally adjacent to and in big, bold letters covered both sides of the street right outside of the Durham Police Department. The lettering was painted on the road in June of 2020 in the midst of the social media, uh, social activism going on across the country and in in media. And finally, the city of Durham, North Carolina, removing this bright gold defund painting along the road in front of the police headquarters after a year. And that painting put there in response to the death of George Floyd in 2020. Now, normally cities remove such graffiti, but city of Durham officials have allowed the defund sign to stay in place right there on the street. And it even has an arrow, if you look at it from above, pointing where it says defund, pointing to the building of where the city of police, the city police are based in Durham, North Carolina. I don't understand. The mayor of Durham is Steve Schweil. He said in a statement that he supported leaving the signs in place for a while, but agrees it's time for them to be removed. Oh, you think so? The painting will be removed. Uh, It's not quite done. If you want to go see this masterpiece there, it's going to be removed either later this month or sometime in July. The defund across the city streets of Durham, North Carolina, right in front of and taunting, if you will, the Durham, North Carolina Police Department, this statement of defund. Mm-mm. In Memphis, Tennessee, the bodies of Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest and his wife, Mary, have been removed and have been taken to a location that is being kept private at this point. Ultimately, the graves, the bodies of Forrest and his wife, who've been buried in Memphis since the early part of the 20th, 20th century, they died, at least General Forrest, in the 1870s, had been in another cemetery in Memphis prior to being lo- lo- relocated into what was called Forest Park, now called Health Sciences Park, after literally a uh, shady transaction between the city of Memphis and something called Memphis Green Space happened a few years ago, and they essentially got an entire city block for $1,000, all in an effort, by the way, to get rid of the General Forrest statue and the bodies, and they were successful in their uh, collusion to get rid of this historic thing that was actually protected but somehow skirted the laws and the justice system somehow to be able to pull this off but yes the bodies now removed and will ultimately be moved to columbia tennessee which is in middle tennessee and that will 
they'll be honored at the Sons of Confederate Veterans National Headquarters that are there in Columbia, Tennessee. But after all these years, it actually has happened where the bodies of Forrest and his wife, not just a Confederate statue, the actual bodies have been taken out. Grave robbers, if you will, have come in and taken the general and his wife, legally grave robbers, and uh, I don't understand how that happened, but it, ha- it happened, and we'll see what happens next. By the way, they're, to add insult to injury for those who support history, this weekend there's going to be a Juneteenth celebration on the very ground that General Forrest was buried in Memphis, Tennessee, at this Health Science Park in downtown Memphis. Now, in Nashville, that is where you find the Southern Baptist Convention headquartered, and now the Southern Baptists are preparing for their biggest annual meeting in more than a quarter century, but they, as they gather in Nashville, are going to have some real questions to answer because allegations are coming out, some real scandals within the Southern Baptist Convention, accusations that leaders have shielded churches from claims of sexual abuse and tensions among race have threatened to divide the church, and now the nation's largest Protestant domination is in a big, big civil war, if you will. More than 16,000 voting delegates of the Southern Baptist Church are pre-registered for the event this week on Tuesday and Wednesday in Nashville. And, of course, we know through history Southern Baptists have been very staunch conservatives. They've generally supported Republicans across the southeast and around the country. But now, with all the, the controversy and more coming out, and the media is ready to pounce on the Southern Baptist Convention as they because they kind of generally yield or generally tend to be more conservative, they're going to be under the spotlight to be dissected, and that's likely to happen. The denomination has been on the decline for 14 years. At a convention years ago in New Orleans, remember, the Southern Baptist has agreed to let some churches not even go by the name Southern Baptist. They are allowed to call themselves, I believe, the Great Communion or something, Great Commission. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. I still haven't seen a church call that, but I know they're out there somewhere. And now you've got some people out here, prominent authors and more, chronicling how several prominent black clergy have been accused or been part of racism. And you also have within the church allegations of sexual abuse and the treatment of women within the Southern Baptist Church. So, It ought to get pretty interesting as they gather in Nashville this weekend. Controversy is not new to SBC meetings, but this year it's reached a fever pitch thanks to leaked letters from Russell Moore. I didn't know this. This is the guy who's been like the vice president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He resigned two weeks ago ahead of this denomination's powerful public policy. He was the head of the SBC's powerful public policy arm, and he resigned two weeks ago from that. He was a staunch abuse, staunch advocate for abuse victims and an ally of the denomination's black pastors. But letters were leaked and secret recordings that showed that some SBC leaders tried to slow walk efforts to hold churches accountable for sexual abuse. And in some of these documents, Moore accused certain leaders of charactering sexual abuse victims as at best, mentally disturbed, and at worst, sexually promiscuous sinners. Okay. Russell Moore, Mississippi native, out of the Southern Baptist Convention. I think he resigned, as I just said. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting week in Nashville as they gather 
for that annual, or at least they did not gather last year because of the pandemic. But they're going to be traveling, lots of them, to Nashville. In fact, a lot of people are traveling right now. If you were on the highways and byways across the South, as I was this past weekend, you saw it firsthand. I was stuck in traffic. In fact, if I if I sound a little weird today, it's because I'm dealing with <coughs> congestion, but not within my own body. I'm talking about traffic congestion. I spent more than an hour in traffic, and I'm not happy about it. I'll kind of vent a little bit in hour three about that, but people are up and going. We saw people at ballparks. We saw people on the lake. We saw people shopping. It's almost like it's 2019 all over again. And, yeah, according to the estimates out there, more than 2 million people went through airports around the country over the weekend. As the airline industry is recovering from the pandemic and it reached those kind of numbers, it was the highest number of people entering airports and going through checkpoints, highest since early March of 2020. The Transportation Secretary, the Transportation TSA, Transportation Security Administration announced that 2.03 million travelers were screened at checkpoints on Friday. That's the first time in 15 months that those kind of numbers had been accounted for in a single day. People are up and going. Airline bookings have been picking up since around February, and travel restrictions such as mandatory quarantines are easing around the country. Uh, around the country now. Recovery is not quite complete. Friday's crowds were only about 74% of the volume compared to that same day in 2019. But for the most part, other than a little bit of a a smaller scale of people out there, people are up and traveling, going on vacations, and they're having good times and hopefully having safe times as we work our way through this. Sad news out of Birmingham. A former Crimson Tide football player and a Birmingham television anchor has been found dead in suicide is the alleged cause for the death of Christopher Sign, as he was a newsman for ABC 3340 and went to Birmingham after several years of working as an evening anchor in Phoenix. And he replaced Dave Baird when he retired at ABC 3340. And he signed co-anchored broadcast with Brenda Layden and Pam Huff, and according to Hoover, Alabama police, they received a call of a person down at a residence at Scout Trace, and when police arrived, they found the body of 45-year-old, again, former Alabama Crimson Tide football player Christopher Sinan, a veteran TV newsman since his days playing for the Crimson Tide back in the 1990s. And according to Hoover Police Department Lieutenant Keith Schleckba said the death is being investigated as a suicide, but a sad story there for this Birmingham television personality and former Crimson Tide football player. We've got more news from across the South that we're going to get to. Let's take a little bit of a breather here and come right back with more of the news. And don't forget, before the hour is up, we've got the latest in the NBA playoffs and who's going to be punching their ticket to Omaha for the College World Series. All that here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. She knows too well there's something going on. 
And she needs a friend So her trembling fingers dial the telephone Lord, it hurts her Doing this again He's the best friend that her husband ever knew When she's lonely He's more than just We're back on y'all, 803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with us here Hope y'all doing well. Let's get back into what's going on across the southeast. I'm John Rawl, the general of all things southern. And to Virginia we go, to the Commonwealth. And Virginia's a, a school board member of a local school board has told graduates that they're entering a world overwhelmed by racism and individualism as we have people out giving commencement addresses now. I'm a little surprised that a school board member would be allowed to speak to graduates I thought you had to be, like, pretty high up there in fame to talk to schools. But I guess that's not the case here in northern Virginia. In Fairfax County, the school board member gave a very, very fiery commencement speech last week. And to this address of mostly minority students, high schoolers about to step into what she called a capitalist world filled with racism, white supremacy, and extreme Versions of individualism. Abrar Amrish, the school board's lone Muslim member, delivered a keynote address before a graduating ceremony for Justice High School in Falls Church. And the president of the student government introduced her, noting that she campaigned for presidential candidate Bernie Sanders and that her father was a leader and a board member of the Dar al-Harjah Islamic Center the namesake of a mosque attended by two 911 hijackers back in 2001. Just so you need to have, speaking at your kid's graduation, don't you think? Yeah, well, that's the case there in Fairfax. I, I don't know what in the world could have happened to Northern Virginia and how it got to be so radical as it, it appears it has, not to get too judgmental, but good Lord, this is in what was a pretty solid conservative area just 10 15 20 years ago and now it's completely changed completely changed this is the same area that we keep telling you about how there's all these school board meetings over the discussion of the critical race theory and this is the area that's packed with so many people that it's caused virginia to go solid blue in just about every election whether it's for president governor or anything out there and this is Again, very, very solid blue areas, very liberal, very left of liberal type things going on in this part of Virginia. And to have a school board member come out and say things like that, not exactly if you're uh, maybe on the conservative side, what you want to hear out there in the audience of this high school, but not exactly what you'd expect any school to have as part of a, a keynote address for their kids high school graduation not a political rally this was not a political rally this was a high school commencement speech by not a kid i'm even a little bit more forgiving if it's a kid because you can always say well they didn't know better but this is an adult asked to speak there in that virginia high school commencement to austin texas the opposite of liberal is greg abbott the governor of texas says he's going to build his own border wall he said he would have further details later on how he intends to get a border wall built now that President Joe Biden has cut off funding and 
there will be no more border wall built, it looks like, as long as Joe Biden or Kamala Harris are in the White House or waiting in the wings, if you will. But the governor of Texas announced that his border will go on if he's able to, and he's going to start arresting people crossing the border illegally this week. A lot of criticism coming in on the governor of Texas. Some people had said it's a political stunt. In a border security summit on Thursday last week in Del Rio, Governor Abbott said he has plans to build a larger border wall and that he's going to build border barriers that will allow the state to arrest people crossing the border illegally and trespassing on private properties. And Gabbett, uh, Governor Abbott also announcing initiatives, including a new task force that will allocate a billion dollars in funds for border security from the state of Texas budget. ACLU of Texas attorney Kate Huddleston called Governor Abbott's plan unlawful and said it could cause untold harm by separating families at the border. I think there will be lots of legal challenges, as they always are in these kinds of cases. And I'm not sure how much Greg Abbott, as a governor, is going to be able to build in his state. In fact, he's got to hold on to the governor's office as he's up for re-election pretty soon. But he says he's going to build that wall, build that wall, at least in Texas, for Greg Abbott. That's his plan. How about this story coming from Lexington, Kentucky? A COVID-19 survivor has just been released from the hospital after spending 175 days in the hospital. And now this COVID-19 survivor wants everyone to get vaccinated. She's from Waco, Kentucky, which is Madison County. And Olivia Tudor, her her coronavirus battle brutal. She's only 30 years old. She got COVID-19 back in November, and within a week of contracting it, she was in the hospital at Richmond Baptist Health. And she said that she refused to go for two or three days of not being able to breathe, saying, no, I don't want to go to the hospital because I don't want to die alone. Now, she is a high-risk patient. She's diagnosed with myasthenia gravis, an autoimmune disorder that weakens a person's muscles and her health quickly went down. She was on ECMO, whatever that is. Tina, help me out. ECMO, she was on that for 91 days, on a ventilator for 125 days, a total hospital stay of 175 days. But she made it out, and now she's encouraging everybody to take the vaccine after nearly six months in the hospital. As she says, Olympia Tudor, I realize each day is a new day now, and so every day is happy and to me because God gave me another chance. Yes, God did give you another chance. Thank you, God, for giving this lady an opportunity to survive after all those days in the hospital. Now that she's been home, she's received her first shot of the Moderna vaccine. By next week, she'll be fully vaccinated. And she's also taken the time to catch up on some things she missed out on while being hospitalized. Says she's got a list of things that she started while in the hospital and marking them off slowly but surely. Now, Kentucky residents on Friday were giving the go-ahead on a lot of things as Governor Andy Bashir lifted the state's pandemic restrictions. So Kentucky opening back up. 
this story of this lady in Waco, Kentucky, out of the hospital after 175 days. Way to go, Olivia. And we wish you a very, very much improved recovery from COVID-19. It's just been completely devastating to so many across the southeast. A sad story coming from South Carolina. A sad story on top of a really sad story. A very, very powerful lawyer, a prosecutor in that state, has died two days after his grandson and daughter-in-law were both found dead, shot outside their Colleton County home. And now this very prominent prosecutor in South Carolina, Randolph Murdoch III, has died of natural causes. But just a very, very difficult week as, again, his grandson and daughter-in-law were murdered on family property there in the low country of South Carolina. His grandson was 22-year-old Paul Murdoch. And Paul's mother, Maggie Murdoch, 52-year-old, murdered as their bodies were found near dog kennels at the family's home near Islandton, South Carolina. The state law enforcement division investigating the cause of the deaths and more. Now, the natural thing to do would, would say, well, perhaps it was Paul's son and this boy's daddy and this woman's husband or ex-husband, perhaps, that killed. That's not the case. I think the the husband, the son, and father are, was also a attorney or some kind of prosecutor as well and has an alibi, was not part of this deal. They're really, you know, befuddled by what's happened here in this terrible shooting of a mother and son. And now maybe the grief is what led to the grandfather passing away over the last couple of days. Murdahl served as a solicitor in the 14th Circuit for nearly 18 years, as this represented the counties of Allendale, Beaufort, Colleton, Hampton, and Jasper counties in the low country of South Carolina. But just a very unfortunate situation for that family in a very prominent family in the state of South Carolina. We'll come back from a break here. We've got more headlines to get to as we go through today's Y'all Show. When we come back, we'll get to you some sports news. And before the hour's up, hey, I'm going to tell you about Rachel Donaldson Jackson, Donald J. Trump, the War of 1812, and I'm going to remind you, today is Flag Day. So get your red, white, and blue out and love the country because it's a, a beautiful flag and we're in a beautiful part of the country that that flag represents more of the y'all show is up after the break
When your team gets to go to the College World Series for the first time in 16 years, you get your fight song played here on the Y'all Show. Hello, I'm John Rawl. This is Talk with a Southern Accent. And congratulations to the University of Tennessee as they will join their fellow volunteer state college baseball superpower Vanderbilt in Omaha for the College World Series that is going to launch this weekend. And we're going to have more conversation about college baseball as we go throughout the week in fact our college baseball barrister matt hermans will be on with us in the y'all show this week to tell you all about his take on the field for the college world series but yes a big win for tony vitello's program as they go to nebraska as one of the best teams in college baseball this year the tennessee vols and they sweep away the LSU Tigers. Paul Maneri's time as LSU's coach comes to an end. This is the Y'all Show, a look at Southern sports here in this hour. Number one, Tennessee advances on to play in Omaha. Vanderbilt, after they took care of East Carolina this past weekend, they advanced to Omaha, Nebraska. You had the Texas Longhorns. They were able to take care of business and their Super Regional in Austin against the South Florida Bulls. They advance to Omaha. You also had Arizona, the Wildcats. They ended up losing a game Saturday against Mississippi, and on Sunday, the Cats in Tucson just demolished the Mississippi Land Sharks out of the SEC, and now Arizona, out of the Pac-12, will join their fellow Pac-12 member Stanford in the College World Series Stanford won the first two games of the Lubbock Regional. Texas Tech's season comes to a very quick end in the Super Regional. And so you got two out of the Big 12. And I'm sorry, two out of the Pac-12. You've got a Big 12 representative in Texas. A couple of SEC teams, as we said, Tennessee and Vanderbilt, are both heading to Omaha. And a couple of games still yet to be determined. Mississippi State, Notre Dame playing tonight. That's in the Starkville Regional Game 3. And the Bulldogs got snuck past, if you will, just got past Notre Dame in their first game Saturday. But then Notre Dame came storming back in Sunday's game. And now the Chris Lamonis-led Bullies have to get that win there at Duty Noble if they want to get back to Omaha. Notre Dame awaits. Again, this is a game taking place in Starkville on ESPN2 this evening. Now, this afternoon, you got a game. Virginia, the Cavaliers, have been hanging out in Columbia, South Carolina. I counted this up. Almost two weeks, UVA has been hanging out in Columbia. And in case you didn't know, Columbia, South Carolina, is not the home of the University of Virginia. That actually is located in Charlottesville. But they've been in Columbia due to going there for the Old Dominion-hosted regional that was held in Columbia because ODU could not host their own regional. Then weather got in the way, and then they found out they had to stick around there when they won that regional to play Dallas Baptist. And now this super regional between UVA and the Patriots of DBU has now gone a full three games. So today, at some point, it looks like the Hoos might get on a plane and fly back to Virginia after spending nearly two weeks in Columbia SC. And they got a tough challenge. This is a series where they're tied up right now with DBU 
the winner goes to Omaha, and the loser either goes back to Charlottesville or Dallas. I assume Dallas Baptist is in Dallas. It wouldn't surprise me if they were in some other little suburb of Dallas, but they ought to change their name if they're not in Dallas. I know there's another Baptist school in South Carolina called Charleston Southern University, and Charleston Southern is actually not in Charleston. It's in North Charleston. Hmm. But I guess it sounds better than saying North Charleston University. <laughs> It'd actually be North Charleston Southern University. That doesn't quite have a, a ring to it. But that's what's going on, again, with college baseball, your super regionals. Vanderbilt looks so impressive. Their pitching staff is just major league quality for sure. And the Commodores punched their ticket after only two games against the Pirates. And then other games, as I said over the weekend, teams did what they were supposed to do, took care of business. A little surprised by Arkansas. I haven't mentioned them. Arkansas was the number one team in the land, and they lost Sunday to the NC State Wolfpack, another ACC team. So ACC looking pretty good with a chance to get another team in there if UVA wins as NC State just eked past Arkansas on Sunday 3-2 to in front of a 11, 12,000 strong Baum Walker Stadium, I think it's what it's called now. It used to be just Baum Stadium in Fayetteville. And so NC State upsets the number one overall seed in the Wolfpack and Elliott Avent advance onto the College World Series. And as I told you here on this y'all show Friday a week ago, as the regionals were set to begin, I predicted NC State, a three seed in the Ruston Regional, was going to win the national championship. And you know what? I might just be right on that. I'm pretty. I got a one in eight chance now. Now that they're Omaha bound, the Wolfpack out of the Atlantic Coast Conference. So that's what happened with college baseball. Big time for a lot of teams this past weekend across the Southeast. To the NBA playoffs Sunday, the Milwaukee Bucks tied up their series with the Brooklyn Nets, 107-96. And congratulations to the Phoenix Suns. In four games, they wiped out the Denver Nuggets, winning on the road 125-118. And now Phoenix moves on to the Western Conference Finals and a chance to go on from there to the NBA Finals. In the association, what's on tap for this, the 14th day of June, 76ers and Hawks will have Game 4 of that series from State Farm Arena in downtown Atlanta. Currently, Philly leads that series 2-1. Also, a 2-1 series is what you find with the Jazz and Clips And tonight on TNT from Staples Center, the Jazz will be at Los Angeles for game four of that series as these teams can't win tonight, but they can certainly get a lot closer if you have that 2-1 margin, get closer to where y'all want to be. And that's a quick look. We've got more sports headlines as we move on today into the y'all show. In fact, we've got some college football news from Kirby Smart, head coach of the Georgia Bulldogs. He's got something to say about the so-called expansion to 12 of college football here over the last few days it's kind of been leaked out that that's where the ncaa is looking to do to expand the playoff and kirby smart's got something to say about it we'll hear what the smart fella says when we come on back with more sports news in today's y'all show also what's going on in golf on both the men and women's side of professional golf all that is ahead but what's ahead after this break is we're going to talk a little Southern history as we've got news on Flag Day. Happy Flag Day, y'all. Also, Donald Trump's birthday is today. 
and Rachel Donaldson Jackson. Don't know who that is? Hang on, I'll tell you all about her. This is The Y'all Show. Stay tuned. We took a little bacon and we took a little beans And we caught the bloody British in a town in New Orleans We fired our guns and the British kept a coming There wasn't as many as there was a while ago We fired once more and they began to run it On down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico We looked down a river and we see the British come And there must have been a hundred of them beating on the drum They stepped so high and they made the bugles ring We stood beside our cotton bales and didn't say a thing We fired our guns and the British kept a coming There wasn't as many as there was a while ago We fired once more and they began to run it On down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico all right, get ready, Johnny Horton. Take it off. Old Hickory. Said Old Hickory. Hey, this is Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Johnny Horton with that great classic from the early 1960s. And here on the Y'all Show, we like our Southern music history. We like our Southern history. And here, as we take a moment to wrap up this first hour of the Y'all Show, let me tell you a little bit about Southern history. In fact, let me start off with our flag raised high because today everybody is flag day as it's celebrated each year on june 14th it commemorates the adoption of the flag of the u.s back in 1777 on this day a resolution by the second continental congress passed resolved that the flag of the 13 united states be 13 stripes alternate red and white that the union be 13 stars white and a blue field representing a new constellation and today, Flag Day. Put your stars and stripes out and wave it proudly. In fact, I have to wonder why they ever started adding more states. I like that 13-star flag that was adopted back in 1777, personally. Uh, let's just uh, keep it like way. Well, it looks pretty. I like that flag. The Betsy Ross flag, some people say. But that was the first flag, the first official flag of this United States. And today is Flag Day, so everybody... Go out and celebrate. Today is also the birthday of the United States Army. A salute to all of our Army veterans and those who are currently serving on active duty. Thank you. Jerry Short in Hour 2 is going to talk about that as he's a retired Army reservist. And we'll discuss his career and some fun memories of his time serving in uniform in Hour Number 2 here on today's Y'all Show. Now, today also marks... The date, this week at least, not today specifically, June 18th this week, after much debate on June 18th of 1812, the U.S. Senate voted 19 to 13 in favor of a declaration of war against Great Britain. And this was prompted by Britain's violation of American rights on the high seas and also Britain's incitement of Indian warfare on the western frontier. James Madison officially proclaimed the U.S. to be in a state of war June 18th of 1812. That war lasted over two years and ended up ending with the signing of the Treaty of Ghent in Belgium in 1814. Now, if you know anything about history, that that actual treaty happened before the Battle of New Orleans, of which Johnny Horton was just singing about with Colonel Jackson. 
the battle should have never even happened, but it did because they didn't have something called telephones back in the day. And 1812, that war beginning 200 and what, uh, nine years ago this week in 1812. Now, also, as we move across Southern history, want to recognize this week, speaking of that time period, Rachel Jackson was born this week, June 15th, 1767. Rachel Jackson was born Rachel Donaldson in Virginia. Her family ended up being one of the founders of Davidson County, which we know now as Nashville, very prominent family. And she was ultimately going to marry someone named Andrew Jackson in 1791 and ended up becoming the wife of the seventh president of the United States. But it didn't come without controversy. If you ever need some excitement, read about how controversial it was for Andrew Jackson and Rachel Donaldson to be married. And that's because Rachel married a guy named Captain Lewis Robards in 1790, and then they separated And she married Andrew Jackson, but she actually married Andrew Jackson when she was still officially married. She married Robards in 1787. I think they split up in 1790-ish. And she married Jackson in 1791 and didn't officially become divorced from Robards until 1794. Controversy, controversy. Many people thought that would cost the young Jackson, old Hickory, a chance to move on and be in political office, but it ended up working out pretty well and they had a lot of children or they had lots of children that jackson got from rachel as she had had children prior to marrying andrew jackson i don't think the two of them had children together from what i remember in history but yes they adopted children the jacksons adopted andrew jackson hutchings who was the grandson of rachel's sister and they adopted a creek orphan boy maybe she didn't they never had biological children, but they adopted nephews and more. So I apologize for messing up the Jackson family tree. But she died in 1828, Rachel Donaldson Jackson. Died at age 61 in Nashville. And that was th- around the time that Andrew Jackson was president of the country. And so, therefore, he outlived her by many, many, many years. But Rachel Jackson, born This week in 1767. Now, this week also marks the birthday of Donald Trump. In fact, today is the 45th president's his birthday. And I know he's probably having a good time on a golf course somewhere in South Florida. Donald John Trump, born June 14th of 1946, and is, of course, a lightning rod to some and beloved by a whole lot of people. Donald Trump, born at Jamaica Hospital in Queens, the fourth child of Fred and Mary Ann McLeod Trump, an immigrant from Scotland. And I think we know the rest of the story on that, a story that's still being written, frankly. But happy birthday, President Trump, here from most of the South of which voted for you in 2016 and in 2020. Also this week is the birthday of photographer margaret white as she was not a southerner but her chronicling of the south in the great depression era was well noted and she had this incredible photojournalism career of which she went around the southeast and documented 
the 1930s South, and that picked up a lot of acclaim around the country when she did that, this woman, who at one point in her life, she married, or this this chronicle was called You Have Seen Their Faces, and it got a lot of lot of press when it came out, inspiring a book as well. Now, along the same time, she married Erskine Caldwell. Erskine Caldwell was from Moreland, Georgia, and he was a novelist and also wrote about the poverty, racism, and more of the South in that Great Depression time period, and he was her husband. And so Erskine Caldwell, along with his wife there at that time, Margaret White, were big literary fixtures in that era. Just giving them some attention here on today's Y'all Show. Also born this week, John Howard Griffin, another writer. He was from Texas, and he wrote about racial equality. And he did this. Can you believe a guy did this? Back in the 1950s, this white man dyed his skin to become black-like, and he went into the Deep South in the 1950s and wrote about it. And he published a series of articles called about his experience called Black Like Me, which actually I think is a song of that Mickey Guyton, the current country music singer. Her song's called Black Like Me. But this guy was a white guy who I wouldn't say did blackface. He blacked his whole body to go around writing about the racial inequities of the South in the late 1950s. In fact, later on, he died from diabetes, but some people for a long time said that he died of skin cancer. He did have problems as he used something called oxsorlin to darken his skin for this project of going around writing about what it was like to be a black person, although he was not a black guy. He was a white guy, but he he literally dyed his skin to go around and do this book that ended up being called Black Like Me, John Howard Griffith. And that is some Southern news, some Southern history of news of your here on your show, the Y'all Show. See, we, we got it all covered. History, first, pre, first ladies, presidents, and the War of 1812, and a little flag news thrown in for good measure here on the Y'all Show. When we come back, we will have our number two coming your way. It's Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Don't go away. More fun is coming up right after this. Why don't you say we stick around for another two hours of this Southern fun? I'm John Rawl. General John Rawls, CSA, Certified Southern American, here on y'all on a Monday. Hope y'all doing good. Oh, we got what looks like a very warm but nice, nice week ahead for most of the South. We'll get into that as we do have some weather that the forecasters are looking out for in the tropics. So we'll tell you more about that as we go on with today's y'all show want to let you know you can reach out to us here 24 7 you can text us or call us at 803-816-1170 and we have some interaction coming in from that and i'll share with that with information with you in just a second want to let you know here in hour number two of the y'all show we've got 
A continuing look at headlines from across the southeast, including the death of Ned Beatty. We'll tell you about the passage of this Hollywood legend who has a connection to the south and has played in many, many movies a southern character, Ned Beatty, passing away over the weekend. Also this hour, a guy that has been known to tell a few stories throughout his life, stories that, from my knowledge, are mostly true. Jerry Short is our Takapola storyteller. He's on to talk about the birthday of the United States Army. All that coming up here in today's second hour. Kobe Bennett has a southern accent on food also this hour. And as we wrap up our show in hour number three today, we're going to kind of walk through, if you don't mind, I'm going to pull out my scrapbook from the weekend, and I'm going to share some memories and thoughts about traveling hours upon hours on Georgia's highways. I know you can't wait to hear. So all that's coming up here, plus a preview of what's on the Y'all Show the rest of the week. We'll get to that in the third hour of Talk with a Southern Accent. If you want to be a part of our show, I just told you the number, 803-816-1170, but if you want to also go back and listen to this show at your leisure. A couple different ways to do that. You can go to the South's homepage, y'all.com. And this show, as well as our incredible website that covers everything Southern, y'all.com, it has a link on the website to the Y'all Show. And you can listen to the podcast and also watch a bunch of interviews that we've got up there. You can actually see yours truly talking to a lot of great Southerners and great guests at y'all.com. And we're also available in podcast form. If you have an Apple phone and or a iTunes on your computer or smart device, go search in the iTunes store or Apple Podcasts for the Y'all Show. Also, you can check us out in iHeartRadio, the app that has so many radio stations and podcasts, the Y'all Show right there in podcast form at iHeartRadio. And we're also in the TuneIn app and in the Stitcher app. It is Talk with a Southern Accent, and we're just tickled that you would be a part of our show. As we reported in hour number one, a Kentucky woman has just got out of the hospital after spending 175 days in the hospital after coming down with COVID-19. And Olivia Tudor is now away and enjoying time from the hospital as she's living in Waco, Kentucky. That's in the Lexington area, Madison County, Kentucky. She was hospitalized at Richmond Baptist Health. This 30-year-old woman came down with COVID-19 in November and was there in the hospital for six months, roughly. Now, Tudor is a high-risk patient. She's diagnosed with something called myasthenia gravis, which is an autoimmune disorder that weakens a person's muscles, and her health really went down in the hospital. She was on ECMO, also known, I believe, as ECMO for 91 days on a ventilator, 125 days, and then her total hospital stay was 175 days. And if you listen to me in hour one, I called out Nurse Tina for help on that, one of our members of the production crew here at the Y'all Show, our medical advisor, and she sent me a text. So let me tell you what ECMO is. Thanks, Tina. ECMO is life support, an artificial lung, which I guess differs from being on a ventilator. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV, but that's what ECMO, E-C-M-O is, an artificial lung. The good news is, despite all these problems, Olivia has gone home now 
and she's gone home and knocking off things that she wrote down that she needed to do in the hospital, and this 30-year-old Kentucky woman is on the road to recovery. That's fantastic news. We've lost so many great Southerners, their lives lost, but a lot of Southerners, a lot of Americans, a lot of people around the world have been severely impacted health-wise by this thing and lucky to still be alive but have a long, long road ahead of them because of coronavirus. And we're just thankful that this Kentucky woman looks like is on the, on the right road and on the men. Fantastic news coming from the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Unfortunately, a Kentuckian has died, a Kentuckian beloved by many. Ned Beatty has died at the age of 83. Ned was born in Louisville in 1937, and the 83-year-old actor died over the weekend in Los Angeles. He actually went to Transylvania, which is a great Kentucky institution of higher learning, before moving on in to the film and stage. In fact, he made his stage debut at 19 in 1956, appearing in Wilderness Road in Berea, Kentucky, and then went on to work at a theater in Abington, Virginia, before going back to Kentucky, and then ultimately making his way to Hollywood. His breakthrough came in 1972 when he played alongside fellow Southerner Burt Reynolds, in Deliverance, a film made in the North Georgia and South Carolina mountainous area around the Chattooga River. And his character in that film, of course, if you've seen it, a disturbing memory for many of you, <laughs> as Ned Beatty's character forced to strip at gunpoint by two mountain men who then raped him. He did go on to play in movies like The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean with Paul Newman in that one and so many other roles. He was in an episode of MASH and played in... I, there wasn't a year that went by that you didn't see Ned Beatty in a really big film, it seems like. And he died of natural causes over the weekend at age 83, Ned Beatty character actor of network dying as well don't want to leave that but he was in superman and so many more the kentucky native ned Beatty, passing away over the weekend at 83 years old if i can pull it up here real quick one of the movies he was not exactly known for was a film made around 99 2000 shot primarily around holly springs mississippi and in it's not the movie that's so great. It's Ned Beatty's line in the movie. Let me see if anybody's got this uploaded on YouTube. And it just is a perfect Southern line that only someone like Ned Beatty can say in a movie. And if I can easily pull it up here, then I will. Uh, I don't see it. I don't see it here. But it's a movie done. Let me see. I've already forgotten the name of the movie. It's not really. It's a forgettable movie, if you ask me, that was done in the late 90s. And I think Ned Beatty did come to the South a lot, although I think he primarily lived most of this uh, adult life. His acting career was in Tinseltown, 
but often with that southern dialect that he had was found in the south making movies and i know you probably all i'm sure there's going to be all kind of now that he's passed away top 20 ned Beatty movies things like that cookie's fortune was the movie i was having a hard time he played lester boyle in cookie's fortune the line from that since i've kind of set it up here was there was a question about somebody maybe that had been arrested in the movie and i think ned Beatty's character was the sheriff in the movie and it was brought up to ned Beatty about this guy having questionable character in this movie that also starred Glenn Close, Liv Tyler, Julianne Moore was in this movie, and Ned Beatty's character, when they were talking about this character, he says, well, I know you can trust him, and they were looking over at him saying, well, how do you how do you know we can trust this person? And Ned Beatty says, because I fish with him. <laughs> pretty Southern, pretty Southern right there for sure. Ned Beatty passing away over the weekend. A Ferris wheel is going to be removed from Ocean City, Maryland's boardwalk, a fixture there in Ocean City. Love our big, tall Ferris wheels, especially in beach towns like Ocean City. This Ferris wheel, 149 foot tall, and it's going to be dismantled today as complaints have come in about this overhanging a boardwalk and violating the town's zoning code. So it has to be taken down. If you want to take a ride on a Ferris wheel, at least in Ocean City, you're out of luck. The leaders of Ocean City said that a surveyor found that this Ferris wheel was at least 10 feet over the property line. Well, that would be a problem. That would cause a problem. I guess property owner and or someone didn't want people out there trespassing while having a good time flying around the skyline of this ocean resort in maryland i've never been there i understand it's a nice pretty place but haven't quite made it to ocean city just yet we got more news that we'll get to in hour number three here on talk with a southern accent but i tell you what what's also newsworthy is when Jerry Short drops by the Y'all Show, and he's set to do that. Stay tuned. The Takapola Storyteller is celebrating the birthday of the United States Army here on Flag Day 2021. And we'll find out what else is going on in T-Town. That would be Takapola. All that with our Takapola Storyteller, Jerry Short. It's up next on Talk with a Very, Very Southern Accent. show is back with you 
And that's the fight song of NC State as the Wolfpack are Omaha bound after defeating the number one overall seed in college baseball, Arkansas. But we're not playing that song here as we bring on our storyteller, Jerry Short, because before that song there was the fight song of NC State and Raleigh, it was also the song of something called the United States Army. And today is the birthday of the United States Army and our Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short, an Army veteran, is on the show. Jerry, happy birthday. Oh, thank you. I uh, almost had it slip. What, uh, <laughs> Phil, what song saying you were playing from Charlotte? It, 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 Raleigh, also in North Carolina. We, we'll work on your North Carolina uh, geography here. NC State's fight song is The Caissons Go Rolling Along. Have you ever heard of that song? It's the Army, I think. Army Go Rolling Along. Well, yeah, I agree, but they stole it because I don't know why. I guess they were short on songs back in the day. But, <laughs> okay. But it's a catchy little tune, and hopefully somewhere in your training as a soldier in the U.S. Army, you, you learn Caissons Go Rolling Along, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. That's, so they Caisson it in. We the Army rode along, yeah. I ah, got well, the caisson, I thought, was the actual name of the song. Well, I think that is actually the name. Mm-hmm. It's, in the Army, they just refer to it as the March, I believe. That's what we did. Ah. I've been to a concert where they had the military band, and they do all branches, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, the director, when he got up to the concert I went to, he said, you know, now the Army March. And... Uh, he died. I don't remember him saying case. I mean, he may have, but I thought about it too. And he said, uh, "The army goes rolling along." I think I think that was a limit. How he worded it. Okay. And they got into it, but uh, today, you know, it's kind of like blue yonder and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Today is not only the birthday of the U.S. Army; it's also Flag Day. On June fourteenth of seventeen seventy five, Congress resolved that six companies of expert riflemen be immediately raised in Pennsylvania, two in Maryland, and two in Virginia, and as soon as completed shall march and join the army near Boston to be there employed as light infantry under the command of the chief officer in that army. And as a result of that, they ended up getting a guy named George Washington to command the Continental Forces and thus the formation of something called the American Army. And that happened on this day in 1775. I'm sure you remember that day, Jerry. Well, no, I, yeah, I do, kind of, but I was thinking it was just the Continental Army. Didn't they call it that then, originally? Was, yeah, yeah, it was called the Continental Army, correct. And uh, it become like the regular Army later after the Revolutionary War, maybe. If my third grade history serves me right, <laughs> it may not. You probably, you know, I'm sure you know more about it than I do. I know, I know a fair amount, but I've not been in the army like you have for decades. As Jerry is a retired <laughs> we, staff we sergeant, is that what you were? Well, I've been platoon sergeant also, so uh, okay. so uh, you can uh, you you can call it about anything you want to call it. I guess. Uh, it does about the same thing, but uh, yeah, I I stayed in the reserve component, National Guard component for thirty years, mm. and uh, it just seemed like uh, I don't know, it was kind of like the thing to do, and uh, I should probably should have stayed a little bit longer, but 
it got so political it's kind of how I, the reason i decided to hang it up after 30 years and you know it was a, a summer gone or but i'd go off to a lot of schools and so i, I usually would spend about a month and a half or so every year for those 30 years mm-hmm. that i stay component but uh we needed personnel and it kept getting lower and lower and lower and lower and then of course i had gotten out before 911 tried to get back in and uh they said hey boy you're too old and uh, your paperwork's already been, <laughs> been pushed out and uh you don't really want to you don't want to get back in so you know i'm kind of glad the way this thing's gone what have we been in this uh mid-age now for 20 years Almost. Oh, not almost. I mean, Afghanistan, I think, is right at 20 years. And then the invasion in 2003 of Iraq happened. And most, if not all, of our major forces are out of Iraq now. But there are still some there in a defense role. But uh, Afghanistan is winding down now 20 years after that conflict began. And hadn't won it yet. Um, not yeah. won it yet, and 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 no one's won. I mean, that is a country you cannot win if you're the invader. I, I think who wins these wars that we've been involved in since Vietnam or Korea, maybe because you know you go back to Korea and you go to the uh, that situation, and that, all those become United Nation wars. And I think they wanted them all to be ties, so everybody could walk away satisfied somewhere else. You know, I don't care if it's a demilitarized zone or what it was in Korea to what we did in Vietnam and throw our equipment overboard and and leave. It's um, it's all been political, and I don't think we ever lost a ground fight or a mission in Vietnam one on one, but we had to withdraw, and that's political and and protesters on the street that. Uh, that don't recognize what you just said. And I think a lot of them put probably, and yeah, you know more about it than I do, but you, you know, uh, some of the most, uh, soldiers that, uh, give us as much as anyone out in, out there fighting is the soldiers at the unknown tomb that march. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember, um, uh, some things about that. And I, I think, you know they, you know how many steps they do in front of the uh, unknown tomb. I think they do twenty-one in honor of a twenty-one gun salute, and then when they turn at the other end, I think they wait twenty-one seconds for another uh, honorary twenty-one gun salute, and then the weapon is always shifted to the outside of the tomb. If you'll notice when they come back, it'll be on the left shoulder. If going back to the right, it'd be on the right shoulder. So they keep the, the weapon away from the uh, tomb. And those guys, they have to sign up for, gosh, it seemed like a couple of years. And they do that for like two years. And they um, do it on rotations constantly. It's, so it's a soldier there all the time. They, they switch them out. And uh, they have to really live up to a high standard. I don't even think they can watch television and and read stuff for the first six months as they're preparing to be a soldier there at the tomb. So, yeah, but that's not well, something you did in your time in thirty years. You know, I don't think I did that. Yeah, I think you would know if you did that. 
I, I think that would be maybe a little too tough for me. That's the toughest job I ever had in the reserve component. Uh, one time was a uh, uh, mess sergeant job. Took that to get some rank, and boy, that's hard. At cooking and mess sergeant and being in charge of a of a bunch of cooks and KPs. Don't let anybody downgrade that, because I've been in a few other uh, schools that uh, I don't think were quite as hard. <laughs> But back to the Army situation, you know, gosh, John, can, uh, this being the birthday and, and, and all, and, and, I'm, I, and I don't know if that's, I hadn't watched any television today or seen any or even listened on the radio, but are they giving that any recognition? I doubt it. It's also Flag Day today, as I said earlier. So I yeah, doubt you'll get too much of either one. All it's going to be about is probably about the Kardashians, frankly. Yeah, something like that. But uh, <laughs> you, know, you know how many wars we've been in? If you think back, we've probably been in more wars than any country uh, since our existence. I, I don't know about that. I do know, though. You mentioned about ties in war, and I've always been led to believe that the only tie this country's ever had was Korea. And I found out today because this is the anniversary. Also today, June fourteenth is a pretty busy day in American history. Today also marks the day that the U.S. declared war on Great Britain. That's right. The United States declared war on Great Britain in 1812, and that war technically ended up as a tie. Well, we had the War of 1812, absolutely, in uh, New Orleans, and uh, Andrew Jackson. and I actually had a great-great-great-great-great-granddad uh, uh, accepted the surrender papers at uh, Pensacola, Florida, for Andrew Jackson. And... Uh, he was from Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, he was a Williamson, Thomas Williamson. And uh, he I'm gonna, was. I'm gonna go back and do the research on this. I don't know if I can good. believe that. I, I guarantee you can believe it. You know, I got a, I got a good past that just kind of stopped when it got to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened, but uh, you know, we're talking about all the wars. Uh, uh, I still want to call the Civil War a tie, too, but. Uh, I, I kind of look at that like that was two wars. There was a war of the South and the war of Northern aggression. But, uh, you know, we had Indian wars. And then, uh, of course, that wasn't ties, I don't guess. And then we had, uh, what, Spanish-American War? Mm-hmm. And, uh, then we had a war in the Philippines, I guess. To that was part of the Spanish-American Spain. War. Yeah, take them from Spain. We kind of followed after you know, and Indian, I guess, war was going on in between all that, and then we had what Mexican expansion of Mexican Mexico when we uh, brought them down there, and uh, ended up with about four states, I guess, out of that situation. And because so, because of that, and I knew about this, but I got reminded while traveling this weekend. I tuned in a show in Atlanta, and they were talking about how the United States got involved in World War One. What was the thing that pushed them over? The top to join you. Didn't it have something in Russia? Like a Russian Civil War going on or something? No, it had to do with Mexico. Oh, it did? The, okay. the English intercepted a message that the Germans were delivering to Mexico saying essentially, hey, if you'll help us attack the United States, we'll give you your old lands back California, New Mexico, Arizona. 
I didn't know that either. Where did you hear that on the radio? I heard it on the radio this past weekend, but I had heard something along those lines. But that could have been the British making that up, but I don't think it was made up. I do believe they intercepted because Mexico and the Germans of we're talking the 1916, 1917, the Bismarck era, they were very connected to Mexico for some reason. And a lot of Germans were living in Mexico at that time period. And so Wait. they were trying to antagonize Mexico to, to do something against America because America was inching closer to maybe joining the side of the Allies. And frankly, Britain and France in 1916 were borderline about to lose the Great War. Well, you kind of know the World War One kind of the war that I think is and kind of swept under the rug. You know, you don't hear a lot about it except Sergeant York, another Tennessee and a up there. And uh, I visited his grave one time. He's uh, he was a hero there in uh, World War One. But and he was a conscientious objector, I believe, that went on to uh, fight, you know, and uh, become back kind of like an Audie Murphy in World War Two. I think he may have been the most decorated soldier in World War One for the U.S. But uh, anyway, uh, you get into World War Two and <clears throat> think of the allies we had then, and think of the think of the manpower and all that kind of stuff. And then today. You know, what have we got today? We probably got counting National Guard and Army Reserve and, and the regular personnel in the regular Army. And you got a lot of clerical workers, too, in just numbers. That's pushing a million, probably. And then you look at our enemies on the other side of the fence. Gosh, dog, boy, you're looking at people like China and uh, what? Um, China and North Korea and Russia, they probably throwing together about 4 million active soldiers. And, uh, you know, it would be tough to fight a conventional war without our other assets. It'd be really tough. We, yeah. when, when it comes to the military in this country, especially this post-Vietnam era, let's be honest, Jerry, the military is not exactly put on the highest pedestal by a lot of people in this country. Even our own leaders, in my opinion, oftentimes don't honor the military like they should. But we also live in a country based on freedoms, and this is an all-volunteer military that we have. And part of the – we make heroes out of rebels in this country. And so we live in a culture where it's not a cool thing to take orders and maybe go into combat and die. That's not the norm in this country. We live in a country where it's all about yourself. It's a selfish country we live in. And so I don't know if we had to, if we were forced to go to war against China, even if we had numbers, I don't know if we'd had the the desire, the will to be a fierce fighter. I'm scared. I'm sure we would find a way to win because I think think God's on our side here. Gott mit uns. But uh, I don't know if we can pull it off. Yeah, I don't – I don't think we could. I know we couldn't pull a conventional war off, and you know we've got to keep our other assets in place, and we've got to quit disarming some of our nuclear weapons and things like that. And because these other countries, we can sign all these treaties we want to, but our political leaders—they're not following up on checking on all this stuff. But we're going ahead and doing it. We say the honest way, but uh, by going ahead and if we say we're going to do away with twenty warheads. 
we do away with 20. They say they're going to do away with 20. They may do away with 10, but uh, if we're lucky, and then they may t- build 20 more while they're doing away with that 10. So, you know, Russia's, Russia's Russia. We we know what that is. And it takes a Ronald Reagan to say, tear down that wall, uh, Mr. Gorchow, to get a wall even tore down in Germany after a war that you fought. And then, you know, we've always been so generous. You know, you take the Marshall Plan. And you take things like that, that that we've done after our army has has given blood, tears, and revenue and fought <clears throat> as hard as anybody in the world. And then we come right back and we build back our enemies and uh, build them back better than us and send our soldiers home to, uh, well, live like I did as my daddy came home from uh, Germany. Uh, I lived in a tent for a while. They were probably building them a house in uh, Tokyo. So I'm not being naive or aggravated or mad. I'm just saying that's the way it was. You and, lived uh, in a home of a World War II veteran who had fought in Germany against the Germans, who survived the war and came back and started a family in a tent. <clears throat> we put a tent up. My daddy put a tent up in his daddy's uh, <coughs> side yard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was like a bigger tent, <clears throat> and it had uh, it had a wood-burning stove in it. But my baby pictures are in that tent. Yeah. <clears throat> I wonder uh, how many former Nazis and or Japanese soldiers were in tents <laughs> and raising kids that's in, what in the 40s. That's kind of what I'm saying. <laughs> as my granddaddy, uh, as a farm would uh, gear down in those days, and it would come, you know, you were sharecroppers, really, is what you were. But if somebody would move out of a house as a sharecropper, we might have been able then, that was our first move, to move to one of the sharecropper houses after the next crop season. So I lived in the tent for about eight months or so, something like that. uh, Jerry, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to defend the United States Army. Is there any chance your dad might have just uh, wasted away some of the money he should have received while fighting in the Army? understand and i've been told around town wave that he was a i know he was a pretty tough guy and he was a boxer in a battalion he was in and they would bet a lot he come back and he did he, he was a little tight he bought a herd of cattle so i guess the, with some of the money he had made uh, betting on boxing and stuff he had um i guess his priorities let me put it that way Maybe his priorities were a little bit, hey, we can get by in this tent out here. There's no need in building a house or doing this. Okay. Buy me a, a Hereford Bull, you know, a Larry Domino or something. You're talking things. I don't even know what you're talking about here. Hereford Bulls and yeah. all these well, other. That's what he did. And we lived we lived in that tent for a while. And uh in my baby pictures or any, but I think maybe his priorities, man, he could have done better, but we wouldn't have had the cattle ranch, maybe. You know, I don't know. But he had to build it up some kind of way. So I guess, you know, you you give and take and sacrifice. Jerry, my mother liked that. Yeah. Jerry, your dad, it sounds like, was a pretty stubborn, headstrong kind of guy. I'm pretty sure you're also in that same ilk. In today's been, army, they don't want that kind of guy signing up. No, and let me tell you if something had happened to me, and it's one of the main reasons I got out. Um, when I, uh, I, tra- 
part in the reserve, in the reserve component from a uh, special forces unit, a Green Beret unit, back to a unit that had uh, that needed a mess sergeant for um, a battalion. And they said, you know, I could get another rank to retire on because at that time I already had about, oh gosh, 25 years in. So, uh, the pay grade quits going up at 26 years. And so I, I transferred back to that. And then I went before the, uh, not the parole board, but (laughs) it's the promotion board. I went before the promotion board. And they would ask me questions. What would I do to my men if I caught them doing such and such? This was in the this was in the mid nineties, okay. And uh, I would use that old school stuff from the sixties and fifties. Well, sixties when I was in early. And I would say, well, I'll drive them for push-ups. I'll have them cleaning the grease pit out. I'll blah blah blah. And uh, I would uh, not pass the uh, board. And a friend of mine had made general. And he was still in the uh, reserve component. He come to me and he said, Jerry, you, you, you're only going to be able to go with that uh, board one more time. I'd already been turned down twice. And the, so he said, now just answer it. It's not like it used to be. Just answer these questions like you're going to just really take care of people and you're not going to give them this hardcore stuff. <laughs> and I, I said, General, I can't do that. I said, this is the way I feel, and I think they should go through that kind of training. I think it'll make better men out of them, make better this out of them. And so I didn't, and I didn't pass it. And uh, they gave it to somebody else through affirmative action. And uh, I understand I got out right after that, pretty soon after that, because, you know, if I was going to be turned down for uh, being a soldier, uh, I went on and I I got him through a – Thing where he got an award and that uh, battalion mess sergeant as the uh, that uh, that mess section or army food service section. I even had to go to Fort Lee, Virginia for a school in that to get ready to get that promotion because it was going to be worth a couple hundred more dollars after retirement when I got out if I if I got that grade. But anyway, uh, they told me later that they had to. He didn't know anything about it. The guy that they gave it to and. They had to even remove him from the position uh, a year later. So, you know, that's that's how it works. And that's how it got political. And that's why when I think we started this conversation, I said we were winning wars and wars and uh, Mexican-American wars and wars of 1812. You said it was a tie a while ago. And actually it was. And um, World War Two and all this. And, and then doggone it. Uh, I get I get beat out of that position and and it's just over politics really yeah. you know but not playing the game and I don't think you should have to play follow the rules and regulations which I always tried to do um, you know you always try to do a little bit under the cuff and uh, but anyway that's kind of how that works and uh, you know the army is the army's great I love it um, I was in the army when. Uh, uh, my son was born, and he was born in Thibodeau, Louisiana. And but you can always there's always little niches that you can kind of work around. When he was born in Thibodeau, I was at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, in a school that I had no business being in. It's computing fire for houses and uh, Einstein missiles and stuff of that nature. 
and I actually didn't have the background in that, and I don't know why I got uh, designated as that a, as a uh, military job for me. But anyway, I was out there, and, and we we set it up with the Red Cross woman in the town that we knew, and she would call and say that uh, uh, my son was having a breach uh, birth or something, and so I wasn't expecting anything serious, and I had my card for sale, and. Um, I'd actually slipped off post and came all the way back to Mississippi and drove the car back out to where I'd had. You slipped off post. Isn't that something got, they can hang you for? I got, yeah, then they could. We're talking 60 dang five. So, uh, I got in, I got in the, uh, the back of my car and the back of somebody else's car because I couldn't even get a pass off post from that school and, uh, went to the airport, got a little plane out of Lawton, Oklahoma. It stopped in uh, uh, mm, that small plane, I think, stopped in Oklahoma City at Rogers Airport, Airfield. Then from there, it went on to uh, uh, Tulsa. Then it went back down to, uh, you're talking about skipping a hop and a jump. Then it went back to Fort Smith. Then it went to Memphis. And then I drove back out there. And um, and I was, couldn't get, if you could get a pass, you couldn't get one, but uh, 50 miles then. And of course, I was uh, five hundred miles away. And you didn't get in trouble. Uh, I got. I had somebody covering the barracks this weekend. I had somebody covering my bunk on uh, Saturday night. Oh, you lied. Yeah, that's what I said. You, some, you know, I was a little bit like my daddy, I guess. So <laughs> then, then Sunday, I didn't have anybody covering for me because I thought I was going to be back. But another boy went with me, and he got his car, and he got stopped at Fort Robinson on the Interstate 40 for speeding, and they held him up. And then I went up to the highway patrolman called me to come up there on the hill where he had him pulled over. And I pulled back up there, and he said, let me see y'all's passes. And he said, I can turn y'all in right now here at Fort Robinson, Camp Robinson, I believe they call it the Little Rock. And uh, he said – Oh, you're, you're, let me see you pass. And he said, it wouldn't do any good anyway. He said, you're just, uh, you're just in this school. You could, can't get one this far, but he let us go, but it made us late. And as a, as key gate is the side, uh, main, it's not the main gate, but it's kind of the gate that you like to go in because everything is there. The, where Geronimo's, uh, sale was there and, and the artillery museums are all there. So I went in that gate just as uh, it was going out, and they let me come in, the guy at the gate. And I, I just showed him my ID, and he let me in. He didn't ask for a pass. And I parked my car, so I had my car. So when uh, I got back, barely, but I got to the bunk at exactly 9 o'clock, just as I was getting ready to bed check. So I beat that rep barely. But anyway... I went. I went. They they called me into the uh, uh, the captain, the uh, the first sergeant did, and the captain wanted to talk to me about the uh, Red Cross situation. <laughs> yeah. So I go in there, and then he said, "Listen, you're in this. Uh, they call it fire directional control. It's computing uh, asthmas and uh, elevations and all this stuff to fire uh, howitzers." and uh, Anishan missiles and stuff. And it gets pretty mathematically complicated, which was a little bit, a lot of it was over my head because I didn't have that background. 
but uh, most of the other other people that had been drafted did. And uh, so anyway, he said, all right, you can go on. I'm going to give you a 10-day pass. Well, I drove on down and went, but I came back in six days because I didn't want to flunk that course because the first thing they said, if you fail this course and have to be recycled, you're going straight to Vietnam. And I thought, well, you know, I better get back and study a little bit. Well, I got back and those friends of mine had kind of kind of got the test and we had a logarithm book that I put. Uh, I kind of made a cheat sheet out of it. It was so thick and so many numbers. And and uh, they, they was going to recycle me anyway. And he said, this is it. You'll recycle. You'll be shipped out to Vietnam when you finish the course the next time. But I was going to have to go back for eight more weeks and um, of that course. And so he... Uh, he called me back over there. Another guy did. So he said, listen, don't you know uh, John Stennis, who at that time was a senator from Mississippi? It was over the Armed Services Committee. Yeah. And, uh, he said, don't you know him? And I didn't catch it. And I said, no, not really. He said, don't you know him? I said, well, I know he's a senator. And uh, he said, well, look, he said, uh, say, don't, don't you? I said, okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. He's a good friend. He'll read that <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he said, all right, we're going to go tell the captain that. So I went to the first sergeant. This was a, just a regular sergeant. So we went to the first sergeant's office, and he had already talked to him about it. He said, captain, don't even want to see you. The, next, the test coming up this week has got 400 questions on it. If you could make 200 of them, which he don't think you can, by missing all this, he said, uh, you can stay in the in your uh, group. And I said, oh. Okay, so we men, old boy from New Jersey, Wildwood, New Jersey, Jack Wilson. He uh, he got me out every night and made me cram and study and cram and study. And then I had a little help with that uh, logarithm book. So uh, got in there and uh, I knocked out about 300. Man, what a <laughs> genius here on the Y'all Show, Jerry Short. I had a little help. Yeah, you did. And <laughs> you, you because of all that, you kept from going to Vietnam. How about that? So I signed up for another school immediately. Yeah. Jerry, <laughs> so, we got to go to break. Happy birthday to the United States Army from one of the Army's greatest reservists ever, Jerry yeah. Short. One of the few. Yeah, one uh, of the few. The, the one and only. The dirty, nasty leg. We're not done with Jerry. I'm, we, yeah. I'm not a dirty, nasty uh, leg. But I, but I am. When we come back on the All Show, one more segment with jerry before we wrap up this second hour of talk with a southern accent y'all we'll be right back
Oh, sing it to me, Dusty. This is the Y'all Show. Jerry Short back on for one brief segment here before we kind of wrap things up here in this second hour of the show that covers everything Southern. Jerry is our Takapola storyteller. And I don't know who Jerry thinks he is because he caught me the other night and he was telling me how he was watching some show about George Strait on TV. It's a movie, and there's only been one movie that George Strait's been part of, Pure Country, 1992. I don't know what Jerry Short was doing back 30 years ago to have missed that in the theaters, but he was watching it, and the big question here is he talks about the current king of country music. Jerry, did you make it through Pure Country? What did you think of the movie with George Strait? Well, you know, I'm going to have to hand it to you. It was pretty doggone good. You did. You watched it. You didn't fall asleep. No, I, no, it was. It didn't go off till midnight, and uh, it was. It was. It was really interesting because I really, I think I told you that I had met his daddy, and um, George Straits. Yeah. When I was pipelining out of Laredo, and uh, he's actually a first cousin to Bales. And yeah, uh, Jeff Bezos of Amazon and yeah, Jeff uh, and George Strait are cousins. And they've got ranches beside each other in LaSalle, uh, or LaSalle, LaSalle, I guess how they pronounce it out there. Louisiana might be a little different, but, uh, county on the Nusus River. And, uh, except George has got a 10,000 acre spread and, uh, Bezos has got a, uh, 25,000 acre spread, but it's mostly just, uh, Tumbleweeds and dust and and low cactus and I know he's got a song that he sang. Uh, I learned to swim on the Frio River. Yeah, all my and, exes live in Texas. Is that what that is? That's the and, song. Oh, okay. So anyway, I, we crossed the Frio down uh, next to the Nooses, and it was powder dry that summer, and they had a sign: "Do not dive off of the bridge into the Frio." So I hope he didn't learn how to swim down there because he's really good. And I'll compliment him. But his daddy, the men at a, a restaurant, I would go up and eat uh, at a restaurant uh, north, of, north of where we were. And uh, on the way to San Antonio, going that way. And his daddy was a retired uh, school teacher. I think he was a math teacher. I needed his help in that school. <laughs> I was in. But uh, somebody said, you want to go over and meet George Strait's daddy? And I said, George Strait's daddy. Uh, well, I don't know. And they say, said, you, we'll take you over and meet him. I said, look, who, who's George Strait? What an idiot. How could you not know who George Strait is? Well, I was so Elvis crazy. I guess I don't know. Uh, I would have known Bobby Riddell or I would have known anybody. But um, I, he told me, he said, well, oh, you don't know he's a great country singer it is. So they were drinking coffee him and some men and, I went over and, and I was getting ready to eat lunch and uh, I ate, uh, I, I cared. I went over and got a Coke and sat down and talked to him a little bit. But I didn't have the courage to tell him that I didn't know who his son was. But now I wish I did because he would have probably got a chuckle out of it. Yeah, I doubt and, too many people are brave enough to tell George Strait's daddy that they didn't know who mm-hmm. his son was. But George, George Strait, hey, got to give him a credit, a little shout out. A U.S. Army veteran, George Strait, here on the I, Army's birthday. He's a doggone good guy, and, and I enjoyed the movie, and I'm glad you uh, it turned me on to him a little bit there. And uh, it, uh, 
and it, 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 I'd recommend, I think it was Pure Country. That's the name of it. And I think anybody would uh, probably enjoy that, especially if they like uh, country music. So, uh, And I, I'm a lot bigger country music fan today than I was years and years ago. Yeah. Well, give George Strait a listen, and as we go to break, we're going to play the theme song from Pure Country, I Cross My Heart. Jerry, thank you for coming on the Y'all Show today and giving this your all on the United States Army's birthday. Well, I want to wish the Army happy birthday, too, and let's build this song. We're going back up and be ready if right. we need Jer- Jerry Short, thank you, yeah. sir, for your service. You are welcome, and have a good day. All right. More of the Y'all Show. We'll be right back. we got a whole other hour coming your way. Southern Accent. Here's what's cooking in the South from Y'all.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. Since summer has arrived, there is no better time to go fishing. One popular fish for both the sport of angling and good eating is crappie. The Bass Guy on YouTube has advice on how to catch, clean, and cook these tasty fish. Here's what his friend at fellow channel Crappie Adventures had to say about cleaning the fish. Most people use an electric play knife. I use a Danko regular blade. I don't like an electric knife. Start at the top, go in until you feel the rib cage, work your way down, push it through, lay around them rib bones, get that side off. Come over here, same thing, push it down until you feel the bones, get around that rib cage where there ain't no bones. Alright, you got your fillet, grab it with your fish skinners, lay that knife down, work the knife, pull the skin. You need to come right off. There's a nice hunk of meat, that's going to fry up good. For more on crappie, check out the full video on the Bass Guys channel. Recipes, tips, headlines, and more at y'all.com. I'd say that guy that Kobe just had on that southern accent was pretty darn southern. Wouldn't you say that? And you know what's also pretty darn southern is uh, eating good fish like crappie in the summer of 2021 well that will put a bow on hour two of this monday y'all show we'll be back we got a whole nother hour including my diary across dixie from the last weekend of travel and it's going to be fun to share that with you and we're going to have a lot more stuff including some sports news headed your way some college football news from kirby smart coach of the georgia bulldogs all that ahead on y'all talk with a southern accent Part three of a three-part saga known as the Monday Y'all Show is upon us. Hello, I'm John Rawl. Our number here at the Y'all Show is 803-816-1170. That is how you can text us with questions or comments. If you like what we're doing, give us a big old thumbs up. If you don't like it, well, we welcome that feedback as well to the show that is all about the 16 southern states. Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Missouri, Mississippi, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, and West Virginia. In this third hour, we've got a great lineup here. we got sports info coming across the southeast, including a little golf news. As we had a first-time winner on the PGA Tour, we had a First-time winner from a European country on the LPGA Tour. 
on Sunday. I'll let you know about that, plus an update on the College World Series as several teams have booked their ticket and are headed to Omaha. We'll let you know who that is, including two teams from the volunteer state of Tennessee. Yes. Sorry, Memphis, you're not going to Omaha, but the Vols and the Doors are. So we'll talk about that here in our sports report. Also in this first in this third hour, we're going to tell you about my travel across Georgia from the weekend. Some good and some bad. Some frustration and a little excitement too. All that in this third hour of y'all. Also, we've got more headlines from across the Southeast that we have not forgotten that we're going to cover here on today's y'all show including information about the great state of mississippi which areas of mississippi have the most expensive homes new data is out and if you're looking to buy in the magnolia state you might want to pay close attention when we share this news in this hour plus a dad has given his daughter a loving gift of 80,000 pennies. And it wasn't for a good reason. It was his estranged daughter's final child support payment. And he's dumped 80,000 pennies on her lawn. Here in the South, yeah. Sometimes we get a little bit angry with each other. We're not always loving in this part of the world. And I'll share where that is and more on that story in our headlines from across the South in this third hour, plus a look at what's on the Y'all Show going forward this week. All that right here. Our website is y'all.com. It is the South's homepage, and we've got more stuff coming there. we got a lot of interviews that we'll be getting to this week, and since we are part of the y'all.com network here on the Y'all Show, I'm going to tell you about a combination of both y'all.com and the Y'all Show of interviews that will be featured both on the website and on the y'all show the rest of this week and we'll do that in the final segment of this hour number three let's get into some sports news across the southeast from the weekend and more and we'll start off with the sport of college baseball as tennessee vanderbilt texas nc state stanford and arizona Those six teams have already punched their ticket to Omaha for the College World Series. To be determined, two games going on today. Games that will decide who is going to play and represent their universities and conferences in the College World Series. In Columbia, South Carolina, early afternoon game between the Patriots of Dallas Baptist and the Virginia Cavaliers. This is game three of the Columbia Super Regional this afternoon. And that's on ESPNU if you want to tune in. On ESPN2 this evening, Notre Dame and Mississippi State get together in Starkville at Duty Noble. They're right outside of the left field lounge. I think that's what it's called. All the jalopies they put out there in Stark Vegas. Notre Dame and Mississippi State, the winner advances to Omaha. Game three set for this evening on ESPN2. And those two games will decide the final two spots in Omaha for the College World Series of 2021. Again, special credit goes to some teams who haven't been to Omaha in a long time. 
NC State has only gone to Omaha three times, and the Wolfpack advancing for the first time in about eight years, I think it's what it was, and they find themselves back in Omaha as Coach Elliot Avent and his rattlesnake legs. He got bit by a rattlesnake a couple of years ago. Ugly scene. <laughs> and he'll probably have side effects from that going forward. But his bite was all cured in the Ozarks when NC State got the big series win over the number one team in all of college baseball, Arkansas. Big win on Sunday. or Yeah, Sunday for the Wolfpack. They upset Arkansas. And Arkansas' season comes to a crushing end. NC State moves on from the ACC. Tennessee, the Volunteers, making their first CWS appearance since back in 2005. Now, Tennessee has never won a national championship in baseball. Tennessee finished as a runner-up in 1951. Y'all remember that? Some 70 years ago, they were runner-up. And they've appeared in the College World Series that year in 51, as well as 95, 2001, and 2005. And now Tony Vitello has his Vols in Omaha, representing the SEC. And a fantastic job that he's done in Knoxville, taking over for Dave Serrano, who was not very good. And now Vitello, in just his third complete season, I think, on Rocky Top, has this ball club back to Omaha and possibly a national championship is waiting for the Big Orange baseball team. A fantastic job, again, for Coach Tony Vitello. And UT, as they got their series over the past weekend, over the visiting team coming in to Knoxville was LSU. And Paul Maneri, the legendary LSU baseball coach who – led LSU to a national championship more than a decade ago. His final game as a coach was against Tennessee, and UT moves on to Omaha. Vanderbilt, don't want to forget about them. They are the defending national champions of college baseball, and Tim Corbin's ball club looking so good, able to win their two games against East Carolina there at Dudley Field, and now Vanderbilt finds itself back in Omaha with some familiar foes showing up there as well. And Texas, the other UT, Texas is back to Omaha after they got a two-game sweep over USF in Austin this past weekend. So the field is almost set. As I said, we've got a couple teams who are still trying to find out which one of the two teams will be advancing to Omaha with Dallas Baptist and UVA today, as well as Notre Dame and Mississippi State this evening. Those are your last two spots for the College World Series, which is going to start on Saturday from Omaha. Can't wait. An exciting time headed your way in terms of college baseball. Now to some college football news. Kirby Smart has come out and has had something to say about the what looks like almost done deal to make the college football playoff expand to a 12-team playoff. The UGA coach says he believes college football is on track for its biggest change ever, as he was recently on ESPN show Marty and McGee, and Kirby Smart said most changes have been relatively small, 
with the potential of what's been proposed, it's probably the biggest change there's been in terms of major college football. He went on to say that he thinks it's probably going to be a good thing. Smart was one of several coaches to weigh in on the potential of a 12-team playoff. Ed Orgeron of LSU has said that expansion is inevitable and saying that he's fine with the change that helps the Tigers reach the playoff. As he said, Orgeron, here's what I've learned. As the older you get, you have to adapt. This game is changing. Recruiting is changing. Things are changing fast. We just have to adapt. Hey, if they expand, then good. It gives us a chance to get in. That from Coach O. But more and more teams looking like they're going to accept the fact that this is a almost certain deal. One team that got left out was a team that in 2020, that is, was Coastal Carolina out of the Sun Belt Conference as they're a member of a group of five team. And their coach also was on Marty and McGee. His name, Jamie Chadwell. Chadwell said that this expansion to 12 teams would be a game changer for smaller schools in FBS. As he said, you've got an invitation to the dance now. You actually have an opportunity I think that's what everybody's talking about is no matter what type of season you had, it was very slim that you even had an opportunity. Slim to none and slim usually left the building. For now, you can see a pathway with this expansion to 12 teams. It does make the Coastal Carolinas of the world, the UCFs of the world, have a better shot to win a national championship, but it's still an uphill climb. Your power five essentially are going to be locked into a bye with this proposed 12-team expansion. The four conference winners, I think it is, are going to be one through four, given a bye from what I've seen. I'm not a fan. I, I, I'm not a fan of the current system. I'm I'm just an old-school guy that believes in the poll era where you just had people vote and you might even have a split national championship. I'm okay with that. I've said it before. I'm okay with that. Because you're always going to have somebody out there saying, well, they didn't deserve it. Somebody else should have won. At least when you have the polls and you even have split polls, you can blame the pollsters if your team doesn't get in or or get picked. With the current deal with the way the BCS turned into the CFP, then you blame this committee for not picking your team to be maybe in the – four the bracket of four that we've seen and you've got teams like texas a&m left out in 2020 should they have been left out probably in fact i was a little surprised that a team that got in didn't in my opinion deserve to be put in in 2020 and that was ohio state and it shows what i know ohio state goes on to new orleans and beats the you know what out of clemson a team that in my opinion certainly deserved to be in the playoff and Ohio State gets to go on to the national championship game where they got the you-know-what beat out of them by Alabama. But it looks like SEC coaches in particular and your group of five coaches like Jamie Chadwell from Coastal Carolina are okay with the inevitability that college football's playoff is going to welcome in more teams in about two years, it looks like. Still not official, but that's where – we're trending to the nba and what's trending is the phoenix suns the suns sweeping past the denver nuggets 125 118 on sunday 
And now Phoenix awaits the winner of the Clippers and the Clippers opponent, which they'll be getting together against each other, Utah. That those One of those two teams advances to play the Suns in the NBA's Western Finals, but the Utah Jazz season comes to an end after the Valley goes into Denver and sweeps away the Nuggets, 125-118 on Sunday. On the Eastern side, the Milwaukee Bucks, way to go, Greek Freak, he and his teammate, they come together there in Milwaukee, and they even up their series with the Nets, 107-96. Bucks win on Sunday. And then what's on tap for the NBA today, the Atlanta Hawks hosting the Sixers. Right now, Philly with a 2-1 series lead. That game tipping off from Atlanta State Farm Arena at 7.30 Eastern on TNT. Then that game will be followed this evening by the Clippers hosting the Jazz from Staples Center on TNT. That series right now with Utah leading 2-1 as the teams march their way to the conference finals to be followed by the real finals of college or of NBA basketball in just a few weeks. It's almost here, y'all. To the LPGA and the country of Finland, great little European country. Remember, maybe the most uh, technologically advanced country in the world. I think they may have had the first smartphones out there. Nokia, I think, was from there. I know Ericsson, I think, was from that country. Maybe Ericsson was from Sweden. Anyway, Ericsson, I think, is rest in peace these days. But Matilda Castro became the first Finnish winner in LPGA Tour history when she won the LPGA Meta Hill Championship in Daly City, California. And she was able to get that by winning over two strokes over Min Lee. And the Finn, Matilda Castron, with a win on the LPGA Tour on Sunday. Congratulations. And her 14 under 274 was just enough to win by two strokes at Lake Merced on Sunday. Now to the PGA Tour, the fellas, they were in South Carolina over the weekend as the tournament held there at Congaree was originally supposed to be held in Canada, the Canadian Open, but that got nixed because of coronavirus regulations and the fact that you couldn't travel across the border. And a fellow from the South won the PGA Tour stop over the weekend, except he was not from the South as in the American South. He was from South Africa. Garrick Higo wins on the PGA Tour as this guy is only 22 years old. His first career victory, and he won over North Carolinian Sheshan Hadley wearing his Bojangles shirt out there on the golf course. Love that. Hadley let a two-shot lead evaporate in the final three holes, and South African Higo wins. And this guy's a friend, by the way, with legendary South African golfer, 85-year-old player, Gary Player. And Gary Player told Higo not to worry about trailing Hadley by six shots starting the final round. As Higo said, he's told me he's done it before, won it quite a few times from six or seven behind. Just try and do your thing and stay up there. You don't know what can happen. And that is what happened as the left-handed Duffer roared back with a bunch of birdies and even got an eagle on the par 5 12th hole. And that was enough to get the victory 
Again, from Ridgeland, South Carolina, the latest PGA Tour winner is a first-time winner, Garrick Higo, who I think played his college golf at UNLV. He's a rebel, and this rebel from South Africa gets a victory in the PGA Tour madness. Now, the golfers from the PGA Tour set their sights on the West Coast as Torrey Pines is the site for this weekend's U.S. Open where Bryson DeChambeau is the reigning Open champion. He may have his game back. There's a lot of players heading into this weekend's major that have not done all that well. As some people say, something's not quite going right between the ears. And some of those guys weren't in South Carolina this past weekend, maybe working on what was behind the ears to get ready for this next major. The third of four majors of the year is this weekend from California the U.S. Open. And that's what's going on across the sports world here on the Y'all Show. I do want to give, before I wrap up, I meant to bring this up earlier. I had never heard of this until I saw it promoted, and I can't talk about it because I didn't see it. But did you see where there is an upstart challenger to NASCAR? Tony Stewart is a part of this, and they raced on CBS Saturday evening. Superstar racing experience happened, and it's not just NASCAR drivers. It's guys from other circuits of racing, but someone named Doug Kobe held off Tony Stewart and others to win the inaugural race in Superstar Racing Experience, SRE. It's actually got to give the sponsor a shout Camping World SRX Series. And a guy from New England won in the first race ever of the race at Stafford Motor Speedway, which I think is in New England, and that's where this guy's from. And he wins this inaugural race that was televised on CBS. How about that? Greg Biffle finished second. Tony Stewart was third. Bobby Labonte, fifth. I'm looking for names that you might be familiar with. Marco Andretti was 10th in this. Michael Waltrip, 11th. And Bill Elliott, the Bill Elliott, the legendary racer, finished 12th in this interesting combination of NASCAR legends and racers from other formats. And I'm not enough of a NASCAR guy to tell you the difference, if any, between what these guys in SRX are racing versus a NASCAR stock car. But... Maybe the ratings were there, and it was a good evening for racing as Doug Kobe wins the very first race in this new circuit, SRX Racing. And they'll be moving on to another track near you soon, perhaps, with a summer option to challenge NASCAR. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we are going to be revving up our engine as we did that this past weekend and hit the highways of the south. And I'll tell you about my trip through Georgia Lots of miles in the Peach State, and I had a lot of observations to share with you as we get back together here on this Monday. I'm John Rawl. Thank you for being part of the show that really is all about y'all. And we'll have more of that show right after this timeout.
There's a North Georgia peach with that one, Lauren Elena here on the Y'all Show. John Rawl, not a Georgia peach, but certainly familiar with the peach state. And I got real familiar with it this past weekend, my first time back in Georgia in a few months at least. And I'm going to tell you about it here if you don't mind. And if you've got your own Georgia road stories, you're welcome to share. 803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with y'all. So we had a chance this past weekend for most of us in the South to, to get out and see the Southeast here. With If you had a chance to take a few days off, maybe enjoy a nice long weekend. And I hit the road, Jack, and I did come back. But I want to tell you about my time specifically while traveling through Georgia. I had a lot of miles on interstates like I-20 and I-75 and a little bit of I-85 as well as I traveled in the state this past weekend. And this means an opportunity for me to say hello to all of our Georgia listeners on the Y'all Show. And thank you for being a part of the show. I'm a former Georgia resident, so I'm not going to pick on you too much here. Georgia, but I will pick on what I saw, and these people that I saw could be from some crazy state like Tennessee, or perhaps another crazy state like South Carolina or Florida. Lots of crazy people from those states pass through Georgia, so these might not even be Georgians that I saw. Heck, it could be a Yankee American passing through on their way to Disney World, but here is my Dixie diary from going through Georgia over the last couple of days. First of all, a special way to go to Thompson, Georgia. Thompson is about 30 miles west of Augusta on Interstate 20. And it was in Thompson, Georgia, that I actually went inside and enjoyed a Chick-fil-A sandwich. At the first Chick-fil-A, I've actually seen a traditional Chick-fil-A open in a year. I have been to Chick-fil-A's at malls and had a meal at the food court. But in Thompson, Georgia, hometown of Georgia Tech running back great Eddie Lee Ivory, I saw their beautiful new Chick-fil-A, and I enjoyed it. So thank you, Thompson, Georgia, and your Chick-fil-A for making the bold move to actually be open where you could go in there and eat a meal. How cool is that? All you other Chick-fil-A's, You need to listen to what's going on in the birth state of Chick-fil-A, Georgia. And at least in Thompson, they let you in there to eat. And and it was delish. And of course, yeah, I didn't disappoint. I got the Chick-fil-A sandwich. And of course, you know, I got the ice cream cone to boot. So thank you, Thompson, Georgia, for that good experience. Next, as I travel through Georgia, something I've never seen before. And in It was kind of goofy, but at the same time, I'm okay with it because you definitely stand out if you're a person that owns this. So a lot of of motorcycles that I discovered, especially in metro Atlanta, motorcycles zipping in and out of traffic, sometimes really getting a little too close for comfort. I don't don't think the motorcyclist is going to win the battle between them and my car if there was going to be a battle. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be okay. But outside of Atlanta, I'm driving down the highway on a beautiful sunny weekend day here in June, and I look in my rearview mirror, and do you know what I see behind me? Elmo. I saw Elmo 
on a motorcycle. And I had never seen this before. I guess I'm not getting out and about enough. But have y'all seen these helmet covers that you can purchase and they actually go over an existing motorcycle helmet? So you can decorate your motorcycle helmets with like a cover that zips over it. It's kind of neat. It's goofy, but it's kind of neat. And this particular driver had Elmo, although when it's sold, it's called a motorcycle helmet cover red, but it looks like Elmo. They also have other characters that you can go one website, and we're not getting an endorsement from them here, but it's called motoloot.com if you have a motorcycle and you want to look a little goofy as you go down the highways and byways of the south go to this particular website sells these motorcycle helmet covers you'll see them for an eagle you'll see one that's called red white and blue that looks kind of goofy you'll see a viking looking motorcycle helmet cover how about a shark cover a unicorn a chicken you can have a yellow chicken type thing you can even have a motorcycle helmet cover of a policeman and his wide open mouth is the portion that where your eyes see out so it looks like he's got a big old grin on his face when he's going down the highways also you get a motorcycle helmet cover for of a panda you can get a scary clown helmet cover a leprechaun a lot of different choices here they look, look pretty neat and you know what they're not all that expensive they just kind of drape over an existing motorcycle helmet and there are a lot of choices i'm looking at an elf get a motorcycle helmet of how would you like to be driving 75 miles an hour and then look over and you're getting passed by an a leprechaun or an elf or even how about this they have a orange like you know the fruit you could buy a fruit or a pumpkin even they have a, a motorcycle pumpkin type thing you can get never seen that before i saw it in atlanta Check it out, motoloot.com is the website if you want to see how these things uh, look. And the price is around $30. Pretty affordable, pretty affordable, in my opinion, and something that uh, is a conversation piece when you're going on long road trips and have nothing else going on. When you go on the road trips of the South and go through places like Georgia, you oftentimes need to fill up your belly. You get hungry. And I live right now in a portion of the South that is Bojangles free. I don't have Bojangles chicken restaurants in my main area of residence in the South. So when I'm in portions of Georgia and other surrounding states, Bojangles is pretty common. And I like Bojangles. I really do. And so I made an effort when driving in North Georgia on Sunday to go to a Bojangles. And I wanted to go to one well outside of Atlanta so I didn't have to deal with as much traffic. Adairsville, Georgia is where I stopped. Adairsville is proud of its Bojangles. they got a big billboard, but it's not right there at the intersection of I-75 and the road that Bojangles is on. You actually have to drive about a mile, and I don't like that. I don't like when you get off an interstate and they say that there's a restaurant at that exit but it's more than a mile away Uh, but i went there i found it and this bojangles unfortunately might be what we're going to see in most of our restaurants going forward this bojangles did not have a lobby 
it was a drive through only Bojangles. And something tells me your fast food, fast food joints of today are going to be just like this one, built to not have a lobby. And so I, I was able to get my food and had a good experience there. But I did have to wait a long time. In fact, the billboard, the the sign out for the drive through had handwritten notes about all these items they were out of. And this was a fancy new Bojangles drive through It wasn't old and decrepit. This one looked at like it had only been there about a year. But they had put all these signs up about how they were out of every all this stuff. I, I got my food. I got my delicious drink. I need to look this up. Bojangles, at least at this location, offered a special southern it was called Southern something, and I couldn't tell because the, the sign was so small for me to be able to see. But Mountain Dew has a new flavor, and it was called Southern, maybe Southern Shock. Is that what it is? It was really good. Southern Shock. Yeah, that's what it's called. Mountain Dew Southern Shock, exclusively available in soda fountain machines only at Bojangles Restaurant locations, came out in June of 2020. It is a blast of natural and artificial tropical fruit punch flavor available at Bojangles, which they used to have a red drink called Patio. I think it was the name of it at Bojangles. Maybe this has replaced that. Southern Shock. I like it. It's good. Delicious. Nothing like good Southern Mountain Dew and Bojangles. But check it out if you're near a Bojangles. Get that Mountain Dew option there southern shock mm. so but my experience there of, of having to wait about 10 minutes more than i should have kind of soured me on fast food stuff during this long road trip but hardy's made up for it when i was able to get further on down the road i stopped at a hardy's and i just kind of have this proven experience that when you go in and you order it's going to be at least two minutes at least before you're order is ready at any kind of fast food place right especially if it involves anything fried which i was getting fries with my burger at this hardy's so i decided to go to the restroom this was at a hardy's connected to a pilot truck stop i think so i go to the restroom come right back out and then i wait for 20 minutes on my food and i finally go up to him and look hey i think y'all lost my order i said my name and they said, oh, we'd already called your name out. So this Hardee's had actually called my name out within my first two minutes of being there. And so I can't get mad at them when they do their job that effectively. So Hardee's, way to go. Way to go. Now, back to my complaints. <sighs> North of Atlanta on 75, I spent more than an hour in traffic, and I should not have. One case was an 18-wheeler stalled in a lane no crash it just just kind of stopped in the middle of a lane and that was a big traffic snarl and as soon as i got up and going from that then it came to another stop and this was at kennesaw state right outside of their campus and in that case it was all backed up for construction and when i finally got to where they were constructing and that's in air quotes I didn't see anybody working at all. I think they just left the signs up and forgot about it. That's what I think. And that made me very mad. So I was over an hour later than I should have been because of those 
road hazards. And this was in the bright, sunny day. This was not a time where they could have been hampered by work. It was not even that hot. So I don't know what's going on with GDOT, get their rear in gear when it comes to construction, especially around Atlanta. But yeah, had a good time and some good music along the way. And right before I left the state of Georgia, I got a parting gift right there on the Tennessee line south of Chattanooga. A CSA flag flying highly there. And I saw one of those in another part of Georgia, I think, on that same trip. Maybe it was in Alabama. But, uh, yeah, the uh, battle flag flying right there south of Chattanooga, right on Interstate 75. I guess that was their point of saying, Georgia is is a Confederate state. Tennessee's not. I don't know what the purpose of that, other than honoring Southern pride, is. But maybe that's also a, 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 a you know attack on Tennessee, and and makes sense because it's actually one thing you see now when you cross into Tennessee on seventy five. As soon as you hit the state line in Tennessee, there's something I never thought I'd see in the South, at least so prominently. They got a brand-new soccer stadium right there in Tennessee, in, in Chattanooga, for, I guess, a local minor league soccer deal. But it's a nice stadium, very nice. I thought it was a football stadium, but I think it's a soccer stadium in Chattanooga. And it's right there within a two-iron shot, if you're playing golf, of the Georgia border. So those are some of my memories of travel across the South. Hopefully you don't mind my Dixie Digest and Dixie Diary of telling you about it, but maybe – uh, you could live vicariously. I'll try to pick more exciting roads to go down the next time I'm able to sneak out of here and enjoy a weekend away. But a always a great thing to be in our southern states. We cover 16 of them here on the Y'all Show, and I, I did have a fantastic time other than some traffic and some scary driving passing through metro Atlanta and the state of Georgia this past weekend. We've got a few more news headlines we'll get to. We'll do that after the break, and we'll wrap this show up telling you about what's on the Y'all Show Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. All that here on the show that covers Georgia and more. This is Y'all. Quickly running out of time here on this Monday Y'all Show with John Rawls. So let me recap some of the news headlines across the southeast here on this Monday. Two tropical storms are possible this week as forecasters looking in both the southern Gulf of Mexico and out off the coast of Africa at some formations. We're now officially into June, which means we're officially into hurricane season. So we're kind of keeping a close eye on developments 
from the weather standpoint. We had two deadly shootings in the south over the weekend. Austin, Texas, one person dead there. Also in Savannah, Georgia, person dead and multiple people wounded in both of these shootings. Also a very, very casualty-driven shooting in Chicago from the weekend. So a violent weekend to tell you about here on this Monday Y'all Show. Ned Beatty, the great actor who was known for his role in Deliverance and other movies, has passed away. Ned Beatty was born in Louisville in 1937. The 83-year-old actor died at his home in California after a very long career, an award-winning career. Ned Beatty had eight children. How about that? But he was in movies like Shooter, and was in various movies and TV roles, Superman and Superman 2 in both of those movies, Silver Streak in 1976. Ned Beatty, veteran actor, Kentucky native, passing away over the weekend. Now to Mississippi, and we have a report out about the most expensive zip codes to live in if you are in the Magnolia State. So if you're looking to move there in the near future, you might want to stay away from some of these zip codes. This as a result of Census Bureau data that came out in 2020. And Household Pulse Survey is releasing this information along with Stacker. Stacker compiled a list of the zip codes with the most expensive homes in Mississippi using data from Zillow. Zip codes are ranked by the Zillow Home Values Index for all homes as of February 2021. And here are a list of the top 10 most expensive zip codes in not Tennessee, in Mississippi, in case you want to move and escape places like Tennessee or Arkansas or perhaps even Hawaii. I've actually known someone who's moved from Hawaii to Mississippi. I actually can tell you that truthfully. The 10th most expensive zip code in Mississippi is Brandon, 39042, typical home value of 211000 Up next is also a different zip code in Brandon, 39047. Brandon is in the Jackson, Mississippi area. Up next is another Jackson area zip code, 39071. Typical home value in Flora is $224,000. Also in the same area, not Flora, but Flowood. A lot of people with expensive homes in Jackson, Mississippi. 39232, the zip code, That'll set you back around 232000 if you're going to buy a home there. Now to DeSoto County, just south of Memphis, Tennessee. Walls is the sixth most expensive zip code in Mississippi. A typical home is $241,000 for Walls. Also in DeSoto County, Mississippi, Olive Branch, zip code 38654. A typical home value is right around $250,000 on the market there. The capital of DeSoto County is Hernando. Hernando in DeSoto County. And the typical home value in zip code 38632 is $256,000. we are kind of getting a trend that DeSoto County is an expensive place, at least for Mississippi. South Haven is also there in DeSoto County. It is truly right next to Graceland. And South Haven, zip code 38672, the third most expensive zip code in Mississippi with a average home value of 263000 Nesbitt, home of one Jerry Lee Lewis, also in DeSoto County. Nesbitt, Mississippi, Jerry Lee, he's hanging out at his Nesbitt home a lot these days. 
His home value and others in Nesbitt, Mississippi, $265,000. It is the second most expensive zip code in Mississippi. And then lastly, back to the Jackson area, Madison, which is the area of Madison County, north of the state capital of Jackson. Madison, Mississippi is the number one most expensive zip code in Mississippi. A typical home value in Madison, $292,000. And that, again, according to these websites, a list of the zip codes with the most expensive homes in Mississippi. And lastly, something to ponder as we get ready to go to break here. How about a dad who was estranged from his daughter and his gift, to his parting gift, if you will, to his daughter on his final child support payment? You know what Daddy Dearest, what he did to his loving daughter for his final child support payment? He gave her... 80,000 pennies and he left them on the lawn the family where the pennies were given they planned to donate all of them to a domestic abuse center that's a positive story but a Virginia teen estranged by her father said her dad dropped these off as a final child support payment last month and Avery Sanford is the team there in Virginia is going to give them to a local charity, a domestic abuse center. But, uh, yeah, I guess they were estranged, and that's saying it lightly. But uh, come on there. We need to be better neighbors. We're going to wrap this y'all show up after this break. We have reached the end of our Monday show, but there's a lot more where that came from. Join us Tuesday as we're going to have information coming in from our barbecue barrister, Matt Hermans. Also going to get some college baseball talk from Matt on our Tuesday Y'all Show. Plus, on Tuesday, we'll be talking about dog attacks for mail delivery. USPS keeps track of who's attacking them across the country. We'll tell you what states are the worst for dog attacks on our postal service workers. <laughs> oh, man. Feel sorry for those folks there when that happens. Also, on the Y'all Show this week, on Wednesday, we're going to be joined by our ACC insider, Jonathan Lifehite, with a report on all things Atlantic Coast Conference. Also, a great interview coming your way on Wednesday with the head of Students Against Drunk Driving. That will be on Wednesday. Thursday, it's entertainment and country music news. On Friday, Craig Faulkner dropping by with a fishing forecast. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you back here Tuesday. Tuesday.